This person died in 2019 at the age of 76. And he's a man. Who died in 2019? <laughs> Wilford Brimley. No, it is not Wilford Brimley. For <laughs> <Okay. laughs> good guess. Okay. He was, among other things, a singer. And he sang the song Tutti Fruity on a 1985 album. Not Little Richard? Not Little Richard, but a good guess. All right. He was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2006. Mean Gene Okerlund. God damn it. How did you get it so fast? <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember reading something about it. I don't know. He was the announcer, you know? <laughs> like, you got it so fast. Yeah, today's dead guest is Mean Gene Okerlund. <laughs> Here to call the play-by-play, Mean Gene Okerlund! All right, uh, what a pleasure it is for me to return to WrestleMania. And as I understand, a record crowd for the Astrodome, guys, of 67,900. 25 people, and this match that's coming up, this gimmick battle. Welcome to Famous and Gravy, a conversation about what really matters in life, one dead celebrity at a time. Through a series of questions about the highs and lows of their inner and outer life, we want to figure out what seems desirable to us. I'm Michael Osborne. And my name is Amit Kapoor. Today, Eugene Arthur Okerlund, better known as Mean Gene, died January 2nd, 2019, age 76. Michael, give me the first line of his obituary. All right. Gene Okerlund, who as a ringside interviewer and commentator served for decades as a straight man to the outsized personalities who suffused the world of professional wrestling, died on Wednesday at a hospital in Sarasota, Florida. Ahmed, your thoughts on that obituary? I don't know why they use the word straight man. That seems completely misleading. <laughs> because you think of sexual orientation? Obviously, especially for somebody that died in 2019, that's just a weird choice of words. Yeah, maybe the obit sexuary of the New York Times isn't... No, I think it's normally good. This just, this one didn't seem to nail it. Huh. Yeah, normally they nail it in the first line. But what's a synonym there for straight man? I mean... I saw one of the, I don't know if it was one of the obituaries, but someone said gentlemanly. Hmm. Yeah. And I thought that was really good. But I do like outsized personalities who suffuse the world of professional wrestling. That's a nice little phrase. Yeah, the contrast was good. Yeah. Scale of one to ten, how's this uh, first line of the obituary? From what I expect from a New York Times obituary, it's a four. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's get to the categories. Category one, five things I love about you. Uh, in this category, Amit and I will work together to try and come up with five things that we feel like really sell this person and why we love them. Do you want to get started? Yeah. My number one is the name Mean Gene, which is ironic. It's something that I love because I read that he didn't love it. He later came to like it, but it, it was given to him by another wrestler, by Jesse Ventura, I think. Yeah, another wrestler. I mean, Jesse yeah. Ventura, Governor Jesse Ventura. Correct. Jesse Ventura, for the most part, you've had your way over the past few years. There is a young man that has entered the AWA, Hulk Hogan, a man 
who I think could truly test your strength. Oh, he'll test my strength. But the body will prevail. Mean Gene, let's talk about other stuff. I'll get to this arm wrestling. <laughs> but because he is not mean at all, because he was apparently an incredibly nice guy, even in that arena, no pun intended. Yeah. Uh, so it's one of those things, like when you call a humongous person tiny. So he had one of the opposite nicknames, which I just think is like a great timeless thing. Yeah. I had that on my list as well. I had it actually, I, I narrowed in on just the fact that he got it from Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura is forever going to be a fascinating figure to me. I know he's still with us. He's not dead, but in some future episode. So your your number two thing you love about Mean Gene. This is a little simple, but the act, you know, the New York Times obituary, imperfectly referred to as straight man, what you call gentlemanly, whatever it was, just the role he played. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it as the conversation goes on, but professional wrestling is just a... It's a weird beast, you know? I'm talking about the former intercontinental champion of the world, Macho Man nothing Randy. Means nothing means nothing. Nothing means nothing. Man. Nothing means nothing. What do you mean by that? More. I'm talking about all the way to the top, yeah. Unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in. But the cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. Macho Madness, he has got more to offer than President Jack Tunney thinks. Actually, let me pause on this. What is your relationship to professional wrestling? It stopped in about 91 or 92. It, yeah. was, it was a pretty intimate relationship through most of the 80s of my childhood, but it didn't carry into my, my teenage years. Same for me, more or less. I aged out of it pretty quick. And, and I would actually say that my childhood friends were more enamored with it than I was. And I was a little after the Hogan sort of heyday. The wrestler who had my attention the most was the Ultimate Warrior, for whatever reason. Anyway, it is a weird world, right? Professional wrestling. And one of the things I wonder with Mean Gene is the value add that he brought. Like, is it 10% or is it 80% more entertaining because of the role he played, you know, match to match and being the straight man, the gentlemanly you know, interviewer who's acting as if he's in a normal sports journalistic environment, right? Yeah, the tuxedo and the perfectly cone mustache, it was all part of it. Yeah, exactly. It just, what a great act. And what a, what a weird act. So that's my number two. Okay, I'll go with the number three. I'm going with the words tutti frutti. Did you listen to that? <laughs> I didn't listen to it. So it was, I saw it. It was a WWE album, I think. They did these a lot in the mid-'80s. Like, I remember the Chicago Bears did one around the time. It was really a thing to record an album. Yeah. And he <laughs> sang Tutti Frutti, and he sang it really well. Really? He was really good, because he was, he was a musician in the past, I read, but he— Tutti Frutti, he nailed. I had on my list the music background, so great minds. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So does that mean, is that our single number three then? or does that, I think yeah. so. I think it's our single number three, and we've still got two more. The fact that he was the best man at the Iron Sheik's wedding. Yeah. He has a real friendship with Hulk Hogan, and that seems actually genuine, and I just don't think that that's all show. I think that that is a real friendship. He actually has friendships with a lot of professional wrestlers so much that he's the best man at the Iron Sheik's wedding. 
I just love picturing him there as the proud best man. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good intro to my number five. And it was just that he was a superstar without being the superstar. Yeah. So he was he was in it without being in it. He was good enough and known enough and popular enough to have the action figures, but he wasn't he wasn't the thing. He wasn't the wrestler. And, and he I, understood I, his role that way. Yeah. That's such a rarity, and it's such a gift to be able to embrace that and do that well. Like a grace? A grace. Yeah, I like that. All right, on to the next category, Malkovich Malkovich, named after the movie Being John Malkovich, where the characters in the movie have an opportunity to take a portal and have a front row seat to somebody's experiences in life. Ahmed, what was your Malkovich Malkovich moment? Mine's a detour. It's not wrestling related. I learned that his son was on the 1988 U.S. Olympic hockey team. I saw that. And to be a parent to an Olympian, that's what I wanted to see most from him, especially a guy like him who who had his life in, let's call them athletics, or in the periphery of athletics. But just the pride that must have come from that. That's when I wanted to be behind his eyes. That's a good one. I, I do wonder about his relationship to sports generally, because professional wrestling is this weird, I mean, there is athleticism to it. And for whatever judgments you want to lob, incredible bodies involved in pro wrestling. But it's also scripted and story and entertainment and has elements of staging. So what was his second favorite sport? Probably hockey if his son was an Olympian. Um, I'm not even sure wrestling was his favorite. I'm not even <laughs> sure wrestling was in his top three or four. Yeah. But do you think he enjoyed sports? Do you think he'd even call himself a sports journalist? I think he would call himself a sports journalist, but I don't know that's what he was after. I think he enjoyed sports, but I think he enjoyed the announcing and the character playing more than yeah. the fact that it was actually around a sport. And I mean, there is some caricaturing of sports journalist in his role, in his performance. When I asked the question... Would he call himself a sports journalist? You said yes, I think faster than I would, because I feel like he is a man playing a sports journalist on entertainment TV for a product that is, I guess all sports in a way are entertainment, but it's less about competition and more about fan loyalty and who we are rooting for and what different personality traits we get behind as fans. It's fake, no doubt, and it's the personality traits, but it's still, he might have known the outcome of every match, but he doesn't know what happens immediately next. And as a journalist, especially as, as a play-by-play -play type of announcer, you have to be able to react to that, and you have to be in that quick, reactive flow state. Yeah. And that's where I think the journalism came in. Your Malkovich moment. Yeah, there is a story in the early 70s and I think this was before pro wrestling became as staged as it came to be in the 80s and 90s. There's a point where somebody calls him on the phone and says, you need to step in. He's like, well, I don't know anything about wrestling. And the person says, it's going to be okay. You need to step in and do this and take over this job. He did not plan for this detour into the world of pro wrestling sports journalism slash fake sports journalism. I love origin stories that begin with somebody talks you into something that you're just not ready for or you don't think you're ready for and you wind up being, you know, the most iconic figure in that role for generations. Somebody says, you need to go get in there and announce this wrestling match. And he says, I don't know anything about wrestling. And somebody convinces him that doesn't matter. You're the perfect man for the job. I would have liked to have had a front row seat to 
the slow emergence of confidence that has to happen. The, okay, I'm being asked to do this. I'm going to do this anyway. The walking through fear that led to everything that followed. So is it the walking through or the overcoming it? What's the difference? So I imagine the overcoming it is a is a huge feeling of release. The walking through it is an experience. It's the walking through. You know, courage is fear with feet. Courage is not the absence of fear. So if you talk about overcoming fear and being on the other side of an experience and saying, I'm no longer afraid, that's way less interesting to the inner dialogue of, I am scared shitless, but I have to do this anyway. And I'm going to bring my best self to it and hope I get through it and then emerge victoriously on the other side. The dissolution of fear that happens as you realize you were actually way more prepared for the moment than you ever could have realized. I would have wanted to have been with Mean Gene in that moment. That is that is far and away the most Brene Brown you've ever <laughs> sounded in our entire friendship. Thanks, man. <laughs> Take that as a, you meant it as a compliment. It right? was an absolute compliment. Yeah. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, next uh, category. Are there any divorces? If so, how many? Anything else we know? I saw one long-term stable marriage. Married since 1964, over 50 years. Two kids, one of whom you already mentioned was a professional hockey player, and I think some grandchildren as well. Does not seem to have had a tumultuous love life. Yeah, and uh, how easy it must have been during the 80s. That's where I was going. As far as we know, 55-year marriage is impressive feat. Yeah. Yeah, enough said. Okay, next category. Net worth. What did you find? I saw $9 million. That's exactly what I found. That's kind of 
currently my sweet spot. That's a great number. It is. Nine million is a really great number. I mean, it's not even it's not even ten. Yeah, but it's still high for Very I high. mean for anybody, but certainly for an announcer, it's high. Yeah. It's a really nice number. And then, you know, died in Florida. There had to have been a home in Florida. It seems like the kind of guy who's got a a condo in Florida. Yeah, and just to, I mean, just to be able to go back to the kids in North, North Dakota or South Dakota. I, I One of the Dakotas, I forget which And just one. say I, I, I died with 9 million. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's pretty in good. In Florida. Yeah, and like, that's- Like the, you're, you're freezing and you don't have that. So yeah, I mean, when you saw that number, what did you think? Does that, did that seem high, low, about right? It seemed high. It's higher than I would have expected. I certainly think he was a millionaire with the amount of merchandising and royalties and stuff that came out of that entire history of wrestling. So I think he was certainly rich, but I didn't expect it to be that high. Yeah. And it does sound like that there was some real negotiations between the different wrestling organizations through the 80s and 90s. This is a a little bit of a detour, but I kind of want to share it. Were you aware of like the history of wrestling and how the WWF got into a kind of war with the, I think, WCW, and that this was like a pissing contest between Vince McMahon and Ted Turner? I've only know of it peripherally. I only know the WWF. I know that there was divisions and unifications and all of those things, but I don't I don't know the history. I did not either. About the time I faded out of being the target audience for this uh, was, I think, when these divisions heated up. But- I went down a little bit of a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Ted Turner and Vince McMahon were in this big pissing contest, and that what ultimately won out was sex and violence, and that's where that's where that's where everything won out. That's where everything won out. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the other thing I think about when I think about wrestling in this period is how much it kind of resembles arena rock. Do you know what I'm talking about? I kind of get it. I'm not entirely. Sure what I'm trying to point to? Yeah. I I think what I'm trying to understand is the nature of celebrity during this period of American history. Why does professional wrestling appeal to anybody? What is the value of this product? I feel like what's most being put on display is the steroided male body, the male physique, right? These giant muscles and these testosterone-filled personalities. What does is, what is that representation of masculinity in the entertainment industry say about that era? One of the things I'm trying to, I think, sort through here is how to feel about professional wrestling as an entertainment phenomenon and whether it's a ugly celebration of toxic masculinity or whether it's a, a caricature and a parody of toxic masculinity where we ultimately we see it's sort of you know, silliness and shallowness. And I want to understand all of that because I want to understand me and Gene in that environment. Yeah, let me let me try. What's possibly churning is that professional wrestling, the Hulk Hogan, Mean Gene genre of professional wrestling, rose at the same time that the White Snakes and Bon Jovi's of music did, the same time in Excess of Business, the Gordon Gecko and the Wall Street, and in Lifestyle, the Robin Leeches and the Chandeliers, and other types of music, too, in rap music. It was all excess. Yeah. And all of those seem to have gone, they seem to have ridden a wave. 
white, a lot of it corrected later, or at least like went through a cycle where it became a little more arts-oriented or a little more conscientious-oriented. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem like professional wrestling ever course-corrected. <laughs> yeah. If anything, it went from like what, what they're now calling the 80s as calling family-oriented, we're still looking at as excess. And it only got more excessive, right? It got more sexualized, and right. as, as did many things, but it didn't seem to have ridden the cycles that that culture does. Yeah. And that's where it's confusing. And at the same time, we know it's fake the whole time. Yeah. Yet it still continues to go down that path. And I guess maybe it has to because we know it's fake. But where where Mean Gene, I think, has a role in this is that he was the counterbalance to it. And I don't know if him as an individual could have done that 20 years later. Like, you can only have the counterweight, I think, at the beginning. Yeah. It's just so much... It just seems like it's less believable, but I think more from the mean gene that we are talking about, I don't think he would have done it 30 years later for the first time. So there's something about his timing. There's something about his timing that made him such a celebrity was sort of the counterbalance of it, that he played to that excess at the time. But the fact that that excess went on for another 30, 40 years and it's still kind of there today, I don't know if there's any appeal. To it, but he didn't. He stuck around for a while, but that was certainly. I don't think it was ever the same. Yeah, since I, since that initial rise. I agree. I agree. Wow, we were, that was all in the net worth category. <laughs> that what? Well, th- what is net worth? Net worth is a. It's somewhat a question about excess. It is in some way. It's and about, what's appropriate, it's, what's right, and what feels right. I think it's also about value, how we perceive value, and how we understand value, and. What did it mean to ride that wave? And did they do more with it? And how did they handle it? You know, nine million though. Way to go, Mean Gene. Pretty good. All right. Next category: Simpsons, Saturday Night Live, or Hollywood Walk of Fame. This is a category where we try and assess how famous somebody was. If you were on The Simpsons, if you hosted Saturday Night Live, if you were parodied on either one, then you've made it. I didn't find anything on Mean Gene. Did you? I didn't find it either. I found something that looked like a Family Guy clip. Yeah. But I, again, I couldn't validate it's it. It's a little surprised. I would have thought that this would be ripe for Simpsons territory. Yeah. So in those in those three, which we're talking about our criteria for like validated fame, at least of this generation, we didn't find the evidence. But I, I want to mention that his likeness of the tuxedo and the horseshoe baldness and that style of mustache. Mm-hmm. It was just emulated everywhere. Anytime you see an announcer or even a, often a referee. Ah. Like I think of like Nintendo games and so forth, of anything that had to do with boxing or wrestling, and they always kind of look like Mean Gene. I agree who kind of looks like Luigi from Mario Brothers. Yeah, or no, is it Mario? No, Luigi's the bald one. I didn't realize. I think that they both had hats. Hmm. I'm not sure which one's bald, but I definitely see the Mario Brothers comparison. Yeah, he he is a kind of archetype in a way, and that like that transcends his body and his personality. I, I mean, I think he's a he's a pop cultural archetype. That's what I mean. Yeah, I think once again, uh, this gives me confidence in this category, in that I don't think most millennials and younger are going to recognize the name Mean Gene in say ten years. Yeah, when you proposed him on the list for this show. It didn't immediately click to me who he was. I had to think about it. I may have had to even look it up. I mixed it with Mean Joe Green, the I think he was a football player. Fair enough. There's not a hundred percent name recognition, even for me, a child of the '80s that watched this. Yeah, right. You have to have logged a, a certain number of 
wrestling hours for it to even have any kind of familiarity. And if you have no relationship with whatsoever with professional wrestling, then this name means nothing to you, even though, you know, Mean Gene has a nice ring to it, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And nine million. And nine million. Potentially in the bank. Let's not forget about the nine million. Okay, next category. Man in the mirror. Did he like his reflection? As a balding and increasingly bald man, I think no. That's my hunch. I also do think he is surrounded by men with a certain kind of physique of which he stands in stark contrast. He's shorter, a little chubbier, and everybody around him has gigantic muscles. He might have made peace with that physique. I have a hard time imagining that he liked his reflection in the mirror, but maybe that's my own bullshit coming out. Amit, your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I think the, the stature would make you think that he does. The way he carries himself, he does like kind of body humor a lot. Like he seems to be very comfortable in his own body. Yeah. But I think that feeling of always being the smallest person in the interview yeah. and just surrounded by these giants, that just, that can't. That reinforces an insecurity. It must, it right? Has to. I mean, even even if you make peace with it and you you know meditate for twenty minutes at the end of the day and realize my body is just a vessel for my soul. For Mean Gene, I just have to imagine that you can have that lesson on Friday night and then on Saturday morning when you show up to interview Randy Savage, you're like, oh god, I feel small again. <laughs> Correct, because you you're rich, you're famous, you have a wonderful family life, you yeah. have all these things, but you still are much much smaller than everyone else around. I don't get why that matters. I mean, I think uh, genetically and anthropologically, there's very good reasons for that. But it's the thing I can't wrap my head around in life is that it's, you know, it's a genetic sequence that seems to have such a big role in happiness and personality. Yeah. And I think we have to assume that that was operating here, given the superficial nature of this work. So best guess is that he did not care for his reflection in the mirror. What about, next category, outgoing message? Did he record the message on his voicemail or home answering machine? Unquestionably, yes. Unquestionably. What a great voice. I mean, the pipes on that guy. So stands in quite stark contrast, which I, I, I love that about broadcasting. I love when you get these radio voices, right? I love when you get somebody who's got a great voice and an awkward physique. I like the disconnect between those two things. Okay, the next category, regrets, public or private? Public is what's been stated. Private is what we suspect. What do you got here? There was a troubled relationship with alcohol that I heard, which I didn't know enough about it, but I want to talk about it. Yeah. But the other thing I had is maybe a private regret was never being a singer or musician. Yeah. Like how mm. good he actually sang Tutti Frutti. And that he wanted to be a musician when he was younger. He was an announcer. You know, he was on a microphone. There's a lot of substitutes for music, but it's he never did that expressive art form. Yeah. I don't know if that mattered to him, but that could be a private regret for me if I started that way and I ended on that career path. That makes a lot of sense. I do have to wonder, you know, there are some art forms for which there are, it's a relatively high percentage of talented people in the world. Singing feels like one of those, right? That there are exceptional singers, but there's also like a fair amount of really great singers, really great musicians overall. And whether or not you commit yourself to that profession, every talented musician I've met 
who did not decide to become a musician faced that dilemma at some point. And you do, in those conversations, get a vibe, get a sense that that there might be some regret. So I think that's a good one. I had, in terms of public, the big one I saw was, he said he didn't care for the travel schedule. And it was like on the road 300 days a year. It's grueling. Another way in which this is similar to that of a you know, rock musician, a life that's similar to that of a rock musician. That much time on the road sounds awful. I mean, I, I think there are people out there, musicians uh, and and performers who have the bus and who like seeing the country and the world and who like traveling. But for that to be kind of non-negotiable, for that to be part of the job, yeah, that seems like it sucks. So as, as he expressed that regret, I could completely understand it. The two private regrets I hypothesized. One was enabling a culture of toxic masculinity, even if it is a caricature. Like, is there a complicitness? Is there something evil about pro wrestling? I'm not sure that there is. Steroids aren't good for anybody, I guess. And I don't know how many of those videos you've watched of, especially recently, of Hogan or Randy Savage or Ultimate Warrior or anybody you know, kind of getting all worked up and yelling into the microphone. <laughs> and yeah. here's the thing, Main Gene, you know. It's funny on TV. You meet that guy at the bar and you're like, I don't want to run into that guy. He's about to raise hell. Fuck those guys. Yeah, you there's know? a glorification of there's, bullying. Yeah, kind of. right. And, and you know, muscles are the only thing that matter. And, you know, there's that's not the same thing as fitness. That's not the same thing as bodybuilding. This is more about aggression and promoting that flavor of aggression. And I don't know if it's a bad thing or not, but I'll tell you the moment that actually happened here. In doing the research, I clicked through some of the videos and there was an interview of Mean Gene with Hulk Hogan. And my seven-year-old son got sucked right in. And I'm thinking to myself, do I want him watching this? He thinks it's hilarious. He's like, that guy is funny. And he's right. Hogan is hilarious. And Hogan in the 80s had a incredible charisma. Whatever you, else you want to say about the guy, like he could hold your attention on the camera. But it also made me feel kind of uncomfortable in terms of like, <sighs> there's something that's not sitting right to me about what professional wrestlers symbolize. And I haven't quite put this into words yet. I'm still churning on that one too, I guess. But I did wonder if, if Mean Gene ever thought about that. Yeah, the counter to it, I think, though, is that he had the same level of fame as them without being that, without being the Hulk, or you can't call him the Hulk, without being Hulk Hogan, <laughs> or without being yeah. that pumped-up giant. Yeah. Like, he became as famous as them without being them. But I, only in contrast to them. I mean, only because he's a counterpoint. Yeah, I don't think it changes being a part of something that enables some unhealthy toxicity. Does professional wrestling, like, do you look back on it and say, huh, maybe this is, I don't want to say evil. I don't want to get carried away and sort of saying, like, the institution of staged professional wrestling is a cancer on society. I don't, you know, I don't mean to get too goddamn worked up about this, but is it harmless? I don't know if it's entirely harmless, but I don't have a problem with it this many years later. And I think because it's so caricaturized, it's action figures just in in life. It's just, it's not real. Yeah. And they're open about that. You find that out later, but I just don't see it as that harmful. I wouldn't say it's harmless. I don't see it as that harmful. Yeah, I, I, I suppose that's about where I land. But I'd also be really open to having somebody 
present the argument to me of it's harmful and here's why. I think if somebody were to put that into words, I'd be very receptive to it. But in the absence of that, I agree. I think it's largely harmless. Okay, so the other regret, the heavy drinking. What did you find on this? All I saw was a sort of quick entry on Wikipedia that he was a lifelong drinker. And finally, we've reached it. He had five kidneys. He had three different kidney transplants, one of whom was given to him by his wife, which, boy, we should have called that out earlier. Did you see that? No. His wife gave him a kidney. Not just married 50 years, but like, have my kidney. She had his kid and his kidney. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I do think that there is a difference between an alcoholic and a heavy drinker. I didn't see a criminal record. I didn't see a broken marriage. I didn't see broken relationships. I don't see any public evidence for alcoholism. Or regret. Hard to say. That's a little trickier. Where I saw the heavy drinking come up is, I believe, around the time of his death and about these kidney transplants. So I do think that you can not be an alcoholic, you can be a heavy drinker, but you can still pickle your body over the course of many decades and die at a relatively young age. He was 76. That's a little young. Is that bad? I mean, if you pickle your body, he lived pretty long. I mean, not, he, he certainly, you can't say he died young. Yeah. I don't know that it is bad. Didn't have a, we're saying he didn't have a dependency. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that my starting point for trying to answer that question is about pain. I do think aging looks painful, right? I think as you get older, your body starts to fall apart. Things hurt. I also think that that is an emotionally painful experience. I don't know enough about it. I'm still learning. But I do think that people often drink heavily to deal with both the physical and the emotional pain. And I do think you can accelerate both forms of pain through heavy drinking without necessarily drinking alcoholically. You know, I think that there's a fine line there, but that's how I understand that. So when you ask, is it bad? I don't know. I think it's a little bit of a question of where else in life he as he's aging, you know, as the bright, shiny star of pro wrestling begins to fade off into the sunset, as as culture moves on the way it does and he has less relevance, as you know, maybe as he's recognized less frequently on the street, you know, what happens to him and his inner life? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that it's bad that he was a heavy drinker to age 76, but it, it also does make me wonder... What's life all about for him after the mid-90s? Yeah, and I guess the what I want to know, and it's something we'll never know, is maybe it was just a little more of a home-centered life with more than average drinking. Yeah, so long as the travel schedule didn't interfere with that. I'd hope that by his 50s, the travel schedule is cooling off so that he can be at home more, if the marriage and the family life is good, and if he's in Florida on the beach. You know, checking out the dolphins. Next category, good dreams or bad dreams? As you put it once, this is all about the look in the eye. What do you got? I think the look in the eye was pretty good. It seemed like he was having fun. Yeah. I saw a pretty good outlook, but I still went with bad dreams. And I'm going back to my answer to the man in the mirror is being surrounded by giants. Interesting. 
I wrote bad dreams. I couldn't say why, but to hear you offer a reason, I'm willing to adopt your reason and run with that. That there's an insecurity, probably. And that there's the name Mean Gene starts as a joke, but I I also am not sure. Like, I can see a kind of warmth that exists between him and wrestlers in the interviews, but I also imagine him to be, if I'm nine years old and he's my best friend's dad, I'm scared of that dad. Like, that that there is actually something commanding about him or an understanding of what power is and what masculinity is that I sense a darkness. I don't know where it's coming from, but I went bad dreams as well. And maybe it's because he's a product of that environment. Yeah. The pro wrestling environment. Yeah. And let's also not forget, like you talked about the interviews with Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage. They were largely yelling at him. With the whole world watching, I'm going to prove, brother, that I can beat you anywhere, anytime. Speaking of the Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, we have seen him here in Atlantic City, and I know millions others are watching very intently all around yeah, the world. but if you looked in their eyes, man, have you seen the fear? Yeah. And that can shake you somewhere yeah. inside, and that <laughs> can come back. It's like content moderation or something. You're just exposed to all this awfulness <laughs> yeah, <laughs> over and over right? again. So there was a story that I, I must have heard on another show sometime about exactly that, content moderation. These people that have to like look at all the pictures uploaded to Facebook. Yeah, that violate the terms yeah, and that are grotesque, s- that are pornographic, that are violent, that are, yeah, they see some fucked up shit. Yeah, and eventually it's just a job. They're like, okay, there's that horrific thing or that offensive thing. But there's a trauma that registers in your brain that that accrues over time. Correct, and maybe if such a large part of your job is being yelled at by enormous other human beings, (laughs) that could come up in the middle of the night. Yeah. All right. Question 11, cocktail, coffee, or cannabis? What'd you have here? I went coffee. My time with Mean Gene, I didn't want it to be a big part of your celebration. I didn't want it to be that reflective. I think I saw a lot of myself in him, and I just wanted to have that bonding coffee. Saw a lot of yourself in him? Yeah. How so? We're, like, just slightly above average people in (laughs) worlds that a lot of people around us do outwardly very well. Mm. You know, and he was the announcer amongst all these gold belts and all these giant biceps, and he was still something. He was still better than average. As are you, sir. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And I think Min Jean was, and let's have a coffee. We don't even have to talk about it, but we just can maybe see eye to eye a little bit. That's really cool. Yeah. I love that. I couldn't decide on mine. I, I went cocktail because I would like, an answer to this question of how he understands professional wrestling and the symbol of the American professional wrestler, you know, the body, the aggression, how he understands that appeal, whether or not that is not necessarily, I mean, whether or not that's good or bad, but I'm just, I don't have great things to say about professional wrestling, but there is a kind of art somewhere in here what is that art? I mean, I think it is putting bodies on display, but it's also, you know, the the wrestling moves themselves and the excessive playfulness of it in a way, you know, that my dad growing up, I was a rebellious teenager and my father to this day will tell you that one of his great regrets is that he did not push me into sports more because he thinks teenage boys need to be playing sports. And, you know, I played one year of 
football. I got too many concussions. Football was probably not the right sport, but I, I agree with my dad on this. Like, I don't have a lot of anger towards my dad these days, but I do wish that he'd actually said, you need to, you need to be doing a sport every season, full stop. You need to commit to that. There's structure, there's some discipline, and it's also, it's a place where a certain kind of growing testosterone comes out. Some of that is natural, and this is the best we in society have for dealing with that part of the process of boyhood into manhood. And, you know, I don't even know if Mean Gene was doing the same thing for women's wrestling. I don't think he was. We've mostly focused on the masculine thing because it's such a part of the product. But I, I would have liked to hear him talk about that. I would have liked to sat down, I think over a drink, to hear his take on how to feel about professional wrestling. Would you have bought his drink as you did mine last night and later became a guest at the bill? <laughs> Probably, based on what I know about Mean Gene's drinking. Yeah, I think I would have. All right. Wow, we're here already. The Vanderbeek. Named after James Vanderbeek, who famously said in Varsity Blues, I don't want your life. Ahmed, do you want Mean Gene's life? So the pact you and I have is we don't make the decision until we get to this question. Yeah. Obviously, we can't help our own minds from jumping back and forth, but this has been a true jump back and forth. Really? For me. Yeah. Yeah, you and I'll, I'll tell you what I don't like, okay. what I don't want. I, I've said I don't like the being surrounded by giants. I don't like being around these people that are not just giants, but are trophies. They're the ones getting the belts and getting the girls and getting the more money and you are just kind of the, to take the line from the obituary, the straight-laced guy around it. Enabler in a lot of ways. You're teeing them up. Yeah, so I don't like those feelings. But I'll tell you what I, I do like, the family life, the consistency, the wealth. And I'm going to tell you, I will take it. I want your life, Mean Gene. Wow. And where I'm going to land on is... Wow. And I think one of the first words we said at the beginning was grace, yeah. right? We said grace. I offered the word gentlemanly. So I think to be that, to be surrounded by giants and surrounded by the trophies, but to have enough grace to be that counterbalance and to be just, at best we can tell, happy and good with yourself. And the key to me is, I think, greater than, right? So he was not the six-foot eight steroided giant. He did not have those giant belts. He was not the biggest star. But the way he carried, the way he had fun, the way he lived a reasonably long life and won marriage and grandchildren and still wealthy, it seems to me greater than life than being one of the other wrestling superstars. You really might have just talked me into it. I'm not sure I got a whole hell of a lot more to say. I felt like I was a lean no leading up to it. I don't know why the travel schedule really turns me off. The idea of being on a road and rootless, that you can have a committed marriage, but it's only maybe one of the reasons that marriage is so committed is because it's kind of transactional and not all that intimate maybe, you know, with that much travel. I do think it looks fun enough, you know? I don't necessarily want a front row seat to all the shenanigans that must have gone on and, you know, on the road and with the wrestlers. But I don't know. It's kind of fun, you know? <laughs> it's kind of fun. I could see it being kind of fun. 
he did land in the sweet spot of $9 million. Can't look past. That's a nice amount. You yeah. know, that's good. That's worthwhile. And the fact that there is a long-term marriage, you know, even not knowing enough about it and grandchildren, I think there's enough here that I'd say yes as well. I'm not so, so won over, but your argument for grace as a virtue is probably the most persuasive thing to me, that there is a humility that's coupled with grace, that's related to grace, that I am here for this one thing, and while my body may be a little silly, my voice does a lot of work. And when I look in the camera with a certain kind of deadpan persona, I am the audience's way in to this absurdity. I am the vehicle through which you travel to see this caricature, which I think you need to see because whatever that symbol represents, it's real and it has power. It, it wouldn't be filling arenas if it didn't. So is he a sports journalist? If a journalist is a storyteller who is helping us make sense of an athletic endeavor, then yeah, I think he's a sports journalist. And I think I'll go yes too. I want to add one more thing to my yes. And it's if you ask somebody like who who is the best wrestler of the 80s and 90s, you're going to get different answers. You're going to get Hulk Hogan. You're going to get Randy Savage. You're going to get some junkyard dogs and Andre the Giant. If you ask who is the best wrestling announcer, there's no other answer to give. And that's a pretty good place to secure in this gigantic world of history and facts. It's good stuff, man. All right. We've arrived. It's the moment. We're at the pearly gates. Eugene Arthur Ackerman, better known as Mean Gene, you've died and you're meeting St. Peter at the pearly gates. Here's your opportunity to make your pitch. They called me Mean Gene in irony. I was, in fact, probably the nicest guy in the industry, and this is the first time I've said it aloud. But so nice that I, I was asked to be best man, even at some participants' weddings. But the job I did, first and foremost, was a family person, a father, a grandfather, a husband. But the other job I did was also being somewhat of a TV father, and by that I mean a role model. So no matter what, there was a lot of children, young adults, mostly boys, watching this programming that I was a part of. It was often me next to some gigantic human being who was celebrating anger and violence and yelling and screaming. And next to them was me, who was also famous, who was also a hero, who also had the action figures, who was also in the cartoons. To the parents watching their kid next to them watching this program on TV, they can look at two figures on the screen and at least they can say, I would be okay if you grew up to be one of those. Let me in. Thank you for listening to this episode of Famous and Gravy. If you're enjoying our show, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. You can sign up for our mailing list at famousandgravy.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at Famous and Gravy. Our show was co-created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Morgan Honecker, graphic design by Brandon Burke, and original music by Kevin Strang. 
Thank you again for listening and hope to see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.